Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old-school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 34. Can you believe it? Episode 34. There's been 34 episodes of Shut Up and Wrestle. I feel like it's only been since last February that I started doing this show. It's amazing. But we are now up to 34 episodes. My guest this week is the president of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, Seth Turner. We'll get to him in a minute. Want to get to a couple of quick matters of business first, pressing business. As uh, this episode is officially posted it will be uh, Wednesday, September uh, 21st, and I will be just a few days away from heading to Las Vegas, Nevada, or Nevada, I guess, if you're from there, for the Cauliflower Alley Club reunion, which is going to be happening down there, and it'll be my second year attending. I- I'm excited to be there, and I'm going to be bringing copies with me of Blood and Fire the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik. I will be signing and selling those books in the merchandise room at the CAC reunion. I'm also looking forward to meeting a lot of longtime friends and colleagues, and some of whom I've only known online over the years, and some of whom I've worked with. And it's going to be a blast, I'm sure. I had a blast last year. Looking forward to it. Um, I hope to see you there. And if you happen to be there, and if you happen to be a listener of the show or a fan of what I do, please feel free to stop by and say hello. Also want to make mention of the PWI 500, uh, the new edition of the PWI 500. I believe it is the 32nd edition uh, of that ranking of the 500 greatest pro wrestlers in the business. Pro Wrestling Illustrated has been doing it since 1991. I've been taking part in it since uh 2020 2020 so this will be my third consecutive year of contributing to that i'm proud of being a part of it getting to help select getting to write the entries uh it comes out every year it's announced online and of course produces an extremely healthy and very functional response from fans and readers on twitter it's always a sublime pleasure But uh, you can find the PWI 500 in the new issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It's the December issue. It's available for digital purchase at pwi-online.com. You can also uh, pre-order print copies. The print copies will become available, I believe, uh, at the end of September or possibly the very beginning of October. Uh, They will be going out to uh, people who 
order them online. So have a look at that. I'm 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 glad once again that PWI is keeping me around to help rank with the PWI 500. But right now I want to get to the matter at hand. My discussion with Seth Turner. Uh, this is going to be a great interview and conversation for you to listen to if you have any curiosity at all about this new International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame that has uh, been around now for a couple of years, but they're really just getting started. This conversation helps to kind of uh, elaborate what the organization's all about, what they stand for, how they got going, uh, where Seth's interest in professional wrestling comes from. I think it's a, a really interesting conversation for any fan of old school pro wrestling. And so uh, I hope you enjoy it. And I'm going to take you to it right now. Okay, so it is my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to welcome somebody that it's been uh, an honor to be working with for the past couple of years on the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. He is the president of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, Seth Turner. Brian, it's great to be here with you today. You know that I'm a big fan of your work, and um, I always enjoy when you and I get to have some conversations because we get pretty deep into some obscure uh, uh, professional wrestling history. And, and, and there's not many people who you can have those sort of conversations at that level with where, where we keep up with each other most of the time. <laughs> That's true. I, I love those conversations. Uh, of course, I've been doing this now since February and I've talked to so many people and, you know, what you get to talk to talk about depends on who the guest is every week. So, you know, I've been blessed to be able to talk about such a wide variety of topics, but it's always so much fun to have somebody where like, you don't feel like you have to hold back. You know what I mean? Like you, you're not, I, I, I always wonder, I always worry, like, will the guest get such and such a reference or such and such a name? So sometimes I have to be very careful, but you know, it's great to be able to talk to somebody like you. Well, I think because you and I have these conversations uh, not being recorded, you know, in the in the corner of some, you know, ho hotel ballroom where there's, you know, meet and greets going on and things like that. That's that's where we're having these conversations and then realize, hey, this would be pretty cool if we actually recorded it. That's the whole ethos of my podcast, which I've said this <laughs> to other people that have been on here where it's like we've had conversations like this before. You know, I had keith greenberg on uh, a while back and i said we've had what we're doing right now is like a two-hour phone call that we would normally have anyway but we just happen to be hitting record so it's exactly what i i love doing and i knew uh when you came up to me at the hall of fame weekend uh, last weekend or well as i'm recording it now last weekend and you were you know we were talking about the book, the Sheik book, Blood and Fire, and just, you know, I had said that I was worried that it was too dense, right? That it had too much information, too many facts, and you were just kind of saying, no, it's perfect the way it is. Well, Brian, and to sort of lay the groundwork for that, I've read probably every, um, you know, professional wrestling biography, autobiography, book on history that I could get my hands on. Now, there's a lot out there I have not read, so you always... It's always a learning process, and so that's what I, I always appreciate. And just, you know, I think uh, um, Roddy Piper said, just when you think you have all the answers, they, he changes the questions. You know, so when you think you know the history, you don't know it. Uh, uh, so it's, it's a continuous learning process. But 
for your fans, what I what I did, I came up to you and there was an author sitting next to you, Dave Dwinell, and, and Dwayne yeah. Dave has, had written a book, and, and I said that if um, if I were to teach a college level course about professional wrestling, I would use your two books as mandatory reading for all students. And, and Dave's because at the first 45 pages, he succinctly describes the territory system. And, and then he gets into his personal stories. Then it was, as, a, as a, by the way, Dave was a referee throughout the Northeast. And it, you know, it, it's a good story. And, and then your book, because I, I, again, I took that approach now of, of having read as much as, as could be, you know, procured. I I would detect if there was something inaccurate in your book and would have pointed it out to you as a friend. But when I was page after page turning and, and hanging on to each sentence and saying, wait, did I miss something? And then going back and you were uh, laying out information that really hadn't been made public before about that Detroit territory, about the Sheik, um, who, of course, protected his, his character, maintained kayfabe throughout his life. So um, your book, I mean, really dug deep and covered uh, all of the territory systems from, and from one of the biggest heels, uh, covering the TV coverage uh, uh, from the 1940s through the 1980s. Uh, so, so again, technically accurate. Uh, bravo, uh, Brian. I, your book uh, is something that needs to be reread. Uh, I and I believe uh, uh, Jim Cornette, who I've never met, but I believe that's what he, he said about it, that it, it needs to be read and reread. That's right. He said, he said, read it again. Right. And see, as listeners could probably tell by now, my whole purpose here on this show is to bring on guests to stroke my ego about my book and make me feel great about my work. Uh, no, but I will say, you know, what you're saying about my book and as a textbook, if you're teaching wrestling history, like I've always felt that way about Tim Hornbaker's books. I don't know if you ever read any of those, but like he's the one that did the book on the history of the NWA and he did Death of the Territories and the history of the McMahon family and wrestling. And so, some of the stuff he does is unbelievable. Actually, he just did the Buddy Rogers biography. His research is incredible. Like I bow to him, even on the Sheik book, he helped me out with some of the research. He's great. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this already know that and have read his books, but he he's amazing. I should get him on here one day. Cool. And if, and if people really want to know in a succinct fashion about some great history of professional wrestling, what they need to do is pick up from the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, our annual program, uh, the 2022 version, and you could go back. We still have the 2021 version. So that covers uh, the 37 inductees to our Hall of Fame and written by the, the best authors and historians of professional wrestling. So I, I highly recommend that for people who just want to easily uh, learn the history of, again, the 37 Hall of Famers that, that have been selected for our Hall of Fame, which is at the MVP Arena in Albany, New York. Right. And I, and I do, I did want to mention the program too. And I've talked about it here before because I, the past two editions that we've done, I've contributed articles to them, uh, which I'm proud of. I did the article on Jim Londas who went in on the, in this year's induction. And I also had the other article just talking about kind of transplanted 
wrestlers highlighting the international nature of the Hall of Fame, just how you have so many wrestlers who have achieved fame and legendary status in different countries from where they actually you know, came from like a Carl Gotch or, you know, even Londis himself and people who, you know, or, or Ricky Choshu, who I got to induct, who was, you know, part Korean, part Japanese and, you know, wrestled about Dor- all. About Dory Funk Jr., who was, right. who was there in person the other night and what he meant to bridging that gap with the um, pure wrestle in Japanese in, 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 in Japan. Uh, right. He brought yeah. the NWA belt there. And so, you know, he, again, you you marked out to me. And <laughs> I said, "Wait a second, that's my that's my Muhammad Ali." And it's I, true, and I understood. I don't usually do that, you know, because look, I, when I worked at WWE, I was trained. I had it burned into my head, you know, don't act like a mark and don't, you know, be professional. You know, you got to don't just run around asking for pictures and autographs and things. That's a quick way to get fired. But, you know, there have been little exceptions I made over the years. Like when I worked there, the one big exception was with Ric Flair. I just could not resist. I had to get his autograph and stuff. And so when we were at the Hall of Fame, yes, I I made an exception. I just had to do it. I did say, yeah, like a Dory Funk or if he were still alive, you know, a Jack Briscoe. I mean, like those are the Muhammad Ali's of wrestling, really. And and, and I was glad because that was one of the little things I could do to help (laughs) give you a little bit of payback because you said, hey, would you would you mind helping just make sure that before the day's over, I got this picture and I said, and what did we take about three minutes after that? And, and we lined up a great photo. And, yeah. and uh, it, that's one of the little things I could do, Brian, because you were, um, uh, you know, co-editing along with, with Bradley Craig uh, this year. Um, that's what uh, Greg Wattel explained to me, uh, at least, Brian. Yes. Um, and so uh, uh, I, I'm so proud of the work that was done in relation to that program. And uh, again, for those who don't know, if you were to take year one and year two of these uh, um, Hall of Fame programs, which are magazines, they really do tell the best history of professional wrestling through the lens of, of these 37 you know, uh, cumulative Hall of Famers over the two years that, that we've been doing our inductions. And, and this actually, I, I want to backtrack a little on that because I was meaning to to really lay this out for people that are listening to this, because I want to make it clear in case there's still any kind of confusion or wonder if we could talk a little bit about this hall of fame, where it came from, what its purpose is, because I'm sure a lot of people know and remember that in New York state years ago, there was the original, what was called professional wrestling hall of fame and museum. A lot of us went there. I'd been there. It was in, I think Schenectady first and then Amsterdam, New York. And then they moved down to Texas and kind of left a void up here. And then, I mean, there's been some, we could talk about that too, but there's been some controversy as to what the heck happened where they haven't really operated in about a year. So, so let's talk a little bit about that because this group, this international pro wrestling hall of fame kind of stepped in to fill that void, but it's a different group. We want to make that clear. Sure. So uh, let's back up as you, you, you laid it out perfectly that there had been the pro wrestling hall of fame, which started in Schenectady, New York, um, and then moved to Amsterdam, New York. And I believe somewhere around 2017 moved to Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, I, I had visited it when it was in Amsterdam, New York as well, and I was always 
uh, stunned because I could walk in and just run into incredible, uh, um, uh, you know, great pro wrestlers. And, and I, I loved that opportunity. So when it, it, when we had learned it had left, I mean, it, it just left a void. But in July of 2019, Mike Lenuto set up a lunch uh, uh, meeting between myself and Tony Villano, who had been the president of it when it was in New York. And um, just having a casual lunch in Catskill, New York, and uh, Tony sort of laid out uh, the concept of, of bringing a Hall of Fame back to New York. Uh, we did not know what that would entail. So um, I undertook the, the project from there and found out that it was considered a museum, and a museum is an educational institution. And in the state of New York, that is chartered by the New York State Education Department. So I have spent well over 23 years at this point as an administrator uh, of schools in the state of New York. So I knew well how to uh, uh, click through the, the state ed website. Um, it, a three-page application then led to a six-page um, document, which then led to a 13-page policy, which then led to uh, eventually three months worth of filling out comprehensive paperwork and exchanges, because you, you got to get a name approved first, make sure that that's clear, then you have to again meet, have all of these documents, much of which make sense for a museum, but uh, um, collections management policy and uh, uh, process of accession and, and things like that. So um, then we send the paperwork to the state ed department and in on December 10th of 2019, we received our charter. From there, we undertook the process to become a non-for-profit through the IRS, et cetera. Now, the IRS part is key because as per IRS law, if a non-for-profit ceases to exist, their, um, their assets uh, are to be transferred to a similar non-for-profit. So we knew that well, that if we were going to position ourselves should any museum which had uh, uh, pro professional wrestling artifacts begin to need to transfer, uh, we would be in a position to be that that similar non-for-profit. So, um, of course, then COVID hit. That, that inhibits our ability to grow. That inhibits an awful lot of things. Um, in 2021, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame did lose their IRS uh, status. They had been moved. Uh, all their artifacts. Yeah. And, and just to be just to be clear, sorry to interrupt you, but in, in just because I know the two names can throw people off sometimes. But you're talking about the the original Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the one in Texas. They lost their IRS not pro for profit status last year, right? That's that's right. Yes. Uh, uh, and so again, we never we just maintained focus on our uh, vision and accomplishing our goals. So we you know couldn't. Um, both be focused on opening our museum and dealing with whatever they were going through. So we, that we just, again, uh, in 2021, uh, um, when COVID was at its apex, we just decided, all right, what's the one thing we can control? All right, let's, let's have our Hall of Fame induction. And that's what we did. Um, Albany County Executive Dan McCoy uh, came through and, and, and helped to champion our efforts to then procure a, a spot in the MVP arena. The issue took place, however, because of a name change in the fall of 2021. Uh, it had been the Times Union Center for a long time. The building originally was the Knickerbocker Arena, opened in 1990. 
Um, it was then the Pepsi Arena that was then the Times Union Center. And so in the fall, we couldn't finish our contracts because the naming rights were, were, were going through. So February of 2022, we get approved uh, at the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame to open our doors. Uh, we can't move in until April of 2022, however, because the NCAA hockey tournament was being held at that arena and they needed our space. So April 1st, we, we get the keys to the arena. We begin to move in. In June, I first got notification from a, a, a woman named Lori Hurst who had uh, uh, been distributing the wrestling paraphernalia back to the original owners uh, from the big blue building in Wichita Falls, which is where the items had been stored. And at first talking with Lori, you began to find out that these items were in very bad condition. Oh. Uh, a video got shared about two days after I talked to Lori the first time. I, I saw that, that, yeah. That shocked people because it you know, was obvious that immediate intervention was necessary. Yeah, so, and yeah, go on. Sorry. Oh, um, well, so we, we uh, set up a GoFundMe for Lori immediately. Uh, I also began to use the, 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 the meager funds that we had from the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame to transfer to get this stuff shipped, whatever she could ship up to us. Uh, uh, we, we paid for the shipping, but again, Lori was there on the ground with some volunteers doing hard work in Texas in June with no air conditioning on her free time. And, and so um, I'll, we'll go back to that, though. I'll talk a little more about getting some of those artifacts. Uh, yeah, because that, that video you're talking about, uh, probably a lot of people listening to this saw it too. It was shocking. It's sort of like everybody's worst nightmare when it comes to a situation like this, where you have this building or this organization that's preserving all this wrestling history. And, and, you know, you wonder, like, what's going to eventually happen to it? Is it going to fall into the wrong hands? I mean, Seth, as you know, there were the stories about items being seen on eBay. I mean, uh, you know, and things like that. Uh, and people being horrified that all this history was being lost from the original Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I would hear legend uh, of those things. Um, I, I, I The one item or, or items relating to the Von Erichs is what I would point out that everyone can look out for the uh uh yellow rose of texas uh, uh jacket worn i by saw it there yeah so that was in the hall of fame and so that's something that is actively being uh looked for so anyone who does have it should probably um they could contact us you know and we can help them to charter charter waters where it could be sort of uh, uh handled in a professional way and, and so maybe we, we throw that out there that that, that we could help somebody who might have procured artifacts in ways they shouldn't have. Oh, um, absolutely. Yes. So what, what it turned into was then, Lori, uh, uh, we, we wanted to provide assistance to as much as we could. Um, she uh, uh, started to send us um, boxes. Uh, these would have fabulous Moolah's trophies in it. Uh, quickly came the Pinky Gardner uh, uh, 1927 championship belt. Um, but there was a large sandwich board that, that couldn't be shipped at that time. Um, she, anyway, I won't go through the entire list because some, it, what would happen is we'd get these things and then it'd be broken glass and, and you know, you'd have to, hopefully things didn't get damaged in the shipment. And 
uh, doing the best that, that we could. At one point, my uh, brother Paul, who lives in San Antonio, Texas, took a two-day trip to meet up with um, Lori as well. And Paul contacted me ahead of time, and he said, what's the most important? And I said, get the gorgeous George hair curling machine, and then get the pink gardener uh, sandwich board. I said, and then working with Lori, whatever you can get and whatever you can ship, grab it, and, and, and let's do that. Um, so there are still some things left in Texas, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is a clock ticking. Uh, uh, the, the, the big blue uh, uh, management has said to September 12th. Lori has items such as uh, a pro wrestling ring in, that's in storage that she's paying for. So it's, um, And again, we, we're doing what we can, but we've also got to make sure that, that we can maintain the museum or else then all of it gets, you know, goes under, you know. So it's 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 a it's been been a lot of work, but give credit to the what they've been doing in Texas to, to help. Well, have have you guys had any then like direct interaction with the previous proprietors, the the people that were running the old Hall of Fame? If so, what what is that? been like i mean what do, do you know anything about their side of this because uh, it's just so mysterious um I, I i you know brian my understanding is that there were three board members who were listed on their website um of which um yeah i i, I you know it's better that if i don't know i don't speak about it yeah. so, no so that's fine that's you fine. know a very limited contact uh, let, let, let's leave it at that. Um, sure. And so, uh, to be quite sincere, what I what I had committed, Brian, was that look, as long as let's get these items safe, let's deal with any other issues later, because anyone could look at that video and know that th these items were not safe and that they needed to be taken care of. And let's get them in New York so that if there's going to be any sort of an argument about it, at least it's going to take place in New York. Right. And, and, you know, one thing, and I want to mention too, we were talking about the MVP arena and I, you know, I, I got to be there as part of the ribbon cutting that took place um, at the hall of fame weekend. And so now there is a physical space that people can go and see some of the, some of the memorabilia and things. And it is incredible that you guys got from Texas and, and perhaps other places as well. But, and, and for fans that know that arena in Albany, Knickerbocker, Pepsi, whatever you want to call it, Best known as, of course, the building where Ric Flair won the Royal Rumble in 1992 with a tear in his eye and became the WWF world champion. That's the claim to fame of that building, right? As well, far as wrestling goes, as far as wrestling. On, don't, don't forget there's the beer bath incident. In oh, right. Yes. Cold pulled the, the Decrescenti beer truck into the arena and soaked Mr. McMahon and The Rock. That's and right. It, and then, Brian, don't forget, there was an artifact you saw at the Hall of Fame that's quite historic for that arena as well. And that would be the first ever Money in the Bank briefcase was cashed in in that arena when Edge cashed it in to pin John Cena. So right. that arena by itself has has quite a wrestling history. Um, we're proud to be now... Uh, um, part of that arena um and so so yeah I, I think you point out as well with some of the it's not just those artifacts that came from texas because again we're showing and demonstrating some pretty historic items such as bruno san martino's uh, original 
WWWF championship belt or that money in the bank uh, uh, briefcase. These are items that had never been seen uh, by the fans in, a, in any Hall of Fame. So. And, and I want to emphasize again, because I think you made a great point before, something that I don't want to gloss over because I feel like, you know, anybody within the sound of my voice and who listens to this, maybe we could do some good in that. If there is anybody out there that hears this, if you have recently acquired, let's say in the past year or so or two or whatever, um, you know, wrestling memorabilia online that you suspect may have come from through this means and may have been an original uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame piece, and you would like to get that to uh, Seth and to the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, absolutely do reach out. In fact, once this is posted, I will put up links to how people can even contact you if they want to do that, if they do find themselves going, hey, you know what? I think that I think I may have one of the old Hall of Fame items, and I think it probably belongs in a museum. If if you are one of those people, this would be a great way to try and recoup some of the losses. Yeah, and again, um, thank you, Brian, for, for bringing that back. And just know as well that it, we've also been the go-between to help return some really nice artifacts, uh, such as Mr. Wonderful's robe to uh, Travis Orndorff. Um, you know, so we don't just necessarily hold on to these items. And one shift that we've realized as a museum uh, from what took place uh, recently uh, is that we don't actually want to own many of these artifacts. We want to have right. them on loan. And yes. we think that by using that method where we go, enter into it with a clear contract with a pro wrestler or with their family that please give us on loan for six months or, or 12 months or 18 months or 24 months this item to be displayed and to be returned in this fashion and insured during this duration. You, you know, and so if we get it on loan, that's healthier for us as well. We can rotate it out and get fresh um, displays in. Um, so, so again, if there's pro wrestlers out there or the families of pro wrestlers who are out there uh, who would like to loan an item, Again, maybe they weren't. They didn't want to uh, donate something and give it over forever, but give it to us on loan so that we can uh, help people to learn from it. Again, because a museum is a institute of learning, and that's what we want to do. Um, because Brian, one thing you know, I I would tell you as we were walking around the museum, and I would say, oh, there's fabulous Moolah's belt from 1956, but we traced that back to 1954 and likely to 1953. Okay. That now you won't find that on the internet. Or I would show a, a program of the Super Bowl of Wrestling from Texas Stadium in June of 1976. Again, you won't find that on the internet, uh, but there's all the documents, there's all of the programs leading up to it. Um, so that's what I mean is that we have to continue to keep learning and using these artifacts to learn. And Brian, I told you as well there, let's let's put your book over one more time. Oh, no. Your, oh, your no. book may have answered a question of an artifact that I now know exists, by the way. See, we don't, as a museum, we also don't need to own it. We, we, we just want to know where these things are. So there's an artifact out there that's one of the Bez Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Championship belt, and it's held currently by, um, I'll, I'll be quiet who has it, because he's going he's gonna to let the museum have it. 
actually, so I'll, I'll be quiet. But your book answered it because you described a territory war going on in Detroit um, in 71 to 73, and it began to answer for me a question about how this mid-Atlantic tag belt that this the son of a wrestler was telling me was used in Detroit. And I said, wait, that's where it could have happened. Now, did wow. it? I don't know, but we'll start with it. We'll, we'll, we'll take that belt. We'll take your book. We'll dive a little deeper and find out, is this belt that I know no one's seen because it's, it's not out there. Huh. So are you talking about now that time frame? there was the wrestling classics group that, that started up, that was run by, um, that was run, Mark Lewin was involved with that and Buddy Rogers and um and Bobby Davis and they were kind of running opposition to the Sheik in in Ohio and Pennsylvania. I don't need to knit to identify who it was, but I'm thinking the time frame you mentioned and the, and it was an independent kind of outlaw group that started up. In fact, they were the first uh Bobby Davis's wrestling classics group was the first wrestling group to run the Philadelphia spectrum talk. And that was in the book. Talk about like a little detail. Everybody assumes it was always a WWF building, but they ran it years before the WWF got in there when it was first built in the early seventies. So I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if maybe it was having to do with that, but I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you off. The- I mentioned it to you the other night, but that's okay. I'll tell you oh, okay. Well, there were some, there were some beverages being consumed, and, and I don't. Well, it's the I may not of, have remembered. It's the practice of during the territory era. Did someone ever leave one territory right. and use it in another territory? Right. We were saying how, you know, and, and it happened often. And I think we had somebody there with us who was a wrestler or a promoter who said, "Yeah, it happened all the time." But you know, they would need a belt on short notice and some guy would say, hey, you know what? I have this belt in my car or, you know, I was a champion in this territory and technically I never lost it. I kind of left with it. Maybe we could use it for this. And what they were counting on was, and I told you this too then, is like, you know, wrestling, yes, it was TV, but it was also much more back then a live event business. So you're counting on no one's going to look really, really closely at the belt medallions and read it. There's not going to be a camera that zooms in. All they're going to see is a hunk of gold and leather about around somebody's waist. And God knows what it actually says on the belt if you get really close to it, right? I personally saw the Polynesian tag team belt that was painted over with a uh, uh, fingernail polish. And it might have looked similar to Don, Don Owens, Northwest, the NWA Tag Team Champion. Maybe. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Uh, but, you know, before I, I – one other thing that I wanted to mention about the Hall of Fame and that I was curious – I've been curious about from the beginning. Now, I love the um, inter- the fact that the word international is in there. And I, I even made reference to that when I did my induction for Ricky Choshu that – you know, it, it's a way that this Hall of Fame, because look, let's face it, there's a lot of different wrestling halls of fame floating around, and it's different from other sports and things like that. But this Hall of Fame differentiates itself, I think, by that international flavor. And I was wondering how that came about. Was it a conscious decision to say, this is how we're going to stand out? It, it was very much a conscious decision, uh, uh, not just in the namesake, but also when you read the mission of what we're looking to accomplish. And then we expand upon not just the literal, uh, 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 what's articulated, literally what's articulated, but in the spirit. So let, let, let's not just, so we intentionally ensure that there's a ballot process that calls for uh, uh, 
individuals outside of uh, the U.S. to be inducted on an annual basis. And so, yes, that's very much intentional. But then as our organization, we want to intentionally uh, make sure that all individuals are represented and promoted. And so we uh, um, really recognize that we have to be intentional. So we've also brought, when we realized maybe through a standard ballot process that we would miss some of those recognitions, we, had, we introduced the concept of some of our awards. And um, so by doing a trailblazer award, by doing the medal of metal award um, and, uh, and the like, we were ensuring that we were gonna hit populations that otherwise might not get, get recognized, our Excelsior Award uh, as well. So those being the three. So. I think it's great because it, it, it keeps a very broad scope. That There's some halls of fame that are, that have a sort of a more limited scope. And I love the fact that just from seeing the inductees the past two years and being kind of involved in the process that you've got not only people from all over the world and, and even beyond just the, you know, when we think international, we always think Mexico, Japan, that's the end of it. And, and that's certainly in there, but even beyond that and historically, I mean, you guys really take seriously, and this means a lot to me and some of the historians that are involved going back to the beginning, you know, the early years of pro wrestling as an industry, as a business, not just this limited scope of, of wrestlers that are within living memory of a lot of fans, but really going back and saying, you know, this may not be one of the best remembered names anymore in pro wrestling, but these people in their time were very important and were very well known and very successful and they deserve to be in there also. Uh, I think a great exemplar would be when we saw Fred Beal uh, getting inducted the other day. Right. Um, uh, Mike Lanuto gave, uh, spoke up and delivered a speech uh, uh, um, and then the chief of police from Marshfield, Wisconsin, had traveled across the country to accept from us a bronze plaque because uh, Fred had been killed in the line of duty as a police officer after having been a champion pro wrestler, pro wrestler in the early 1900s that even defeated Frank Gotch. So, you know, when you sit there and you're, and you're hearing these stories and you're seeing what it's, how it affects these grown men, you know, uh, almost a century later from, you know, it, 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 that strikes a chord with me about the importance and the significance of what we're, what we're doing. Or um, when you see the Excelsior Award winner uh, this year, Anthony DePippo, just be so shocked and moved and excited uh, about what pro wrestling has meant to him as he um, had to endure t over 20 years of being imprisoned and, 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 that what it was pro wrestling that he kept kept hanging on to to get through that, and then when we give him that recognition, it for him has been such an emotional shift from having to live twenty years of worrying about your physical safety. So it's it's, it's crazy what we can what impact we can have with this organization. It uh, really is. Through. Yeah. The, the the sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say the Fred the Fred Beal story was so fascinating to me 
you know, because like you said, we had the chief of police. Is that what was that his title? Chief of police from the town where, where Beale also was a police officer. And, you know, for, for, for people that do know the name of Fred Beale, even, you know, if you study, if you're interested in wrestling history, his big thing is like, you know, he's kind he kind of was this footnote because he was the guy who upset Frank Gotch. It was this weird kind of unexpected upset. He, you know, Gotch really didn't lose matches and he upset him. You know, he beat him in a match. It was kind of a strange match where Gotch hit his head on the on the ring post or something and was knocked out, you know, or supposedly. And then two weeks <laughs> and then two weeks later, he loses it right back, which didn't really happen a lot back then. You'd have, you know, these quick title changes didn't really happen uh, you know and and it was uh, always been wondered about and the nature of it but beyond that to learn that this person who maybe we considered a footnote was in the town where he came from still a legend and not really because of the wrestling but because of his work in the police and how he was the only uh police officer ever killed in the line of duty in that town and you know they have they have things named after him there, and it, and it's just to this day, a hundred and hundred plus years later, or you know, after he died, or I guess it's about a hundred years. Nineteen thirty-three, I think that ninety years, he's still well remembered there. Those are things that I didn't know. Well, and Brian, if you caught what, what again, his name was Jody Gary, who was the chief of police from Marshfield, Wisconsin, who who had come. He would shifted his entire mentality while he was at the event and listening to the induction in which he said that they have focused so much on Fred Beal's passing that he's going back to Marshfield to really champion Fred Beal's life and what he had accomplished. And so again, now we've, we've sparked this flame, you know, that's going to go back across the country and, and uh, um, you know, and just by giving a little bit of recognition in the right way as selected by, uh, you know, a ballot committee, a ballot process that's pure, um, and we, the, the board of trustees, stay out of it. But but that was that was one little thing. How about you know? Because you and I got to be there and and uh, watch Ted DiBiase. How and, and let's move beyond. Everyone says Million Dollar Man. You and I, come on. We're, 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 first of all, give me that Mid South Ted. Yes, DiBiase. yes. Okay. I I actually went over to him. I went over to him. Love match with Axon Jim Duggan. Okay. Yes, one man gang. Uh, I, in fact, I said that to him, and I don't know how often that happens, but like when I went over to talk to him, all I wanted to talk about was Mid South, you know, and just say you what you did there. You were a machine in, in Mid South. The promos, the matches, being working face, working heel, like that. But and it's true. I mean, that's what got him noticed by Vince. It was what he was doing there in Mid South. That's what got him the Million Dollar Man run. But let's share publicly a story that that Ted was sharing. And I heard him say it three different times over the course of the weekend about um, his dad uh, going three hours and 20 minutes with, with Dory Funk Sr. Uh, to, a, to a time limit stoppage and um, uh, that, that the fans were on their feet. So to hear Ted DiBiase continue to gush about what to him was pro wrestling history and then come back and talk about Dory Funk Jr. taking on Jack Briscoe and and, and uh, uh, what that did for him uh, wanting to get into pro wrestling. So so when we got to see great pro wrestlers marking out about pro wrestling, that's what's fun about the weekend. 
right? There was a great moment um, the first night before the the banquet day. It was after the ribbon cutting when when everybody kind of come back to the hotel. And it was one of those moments where, you know, I had to kind of restrain myself and let it lie. But it was great to see how, you know, at, at the restaurant in the hotel, um, Ted DiBiase and Dory Funk Jr., they had dinner together at this little table in the corner in this quiet area. No one was around them, you know, and I kind of peeked my head over the over the barricade just to just to have a peek and just go like these are the moments right here. And I'm not going to spoil this moment. I'm not going to go over there and, you know, be, all this stuff. Just let it breathe. And this is, you know, what a thing to get to witness these two incredible legends who have this connection going back decades, these family connections. And they're getting to reconnect, you know, in this very just kind of human, normal, down to earth kind of way. It's just these are the things that I live for. So I'll share with you something that, that no one else or a few other people saw. Um, and it involves some of the other guests who were with us for the weekend. So I was um, talking with Booker T uh, on Friday evening and we were having a discussion about the value of sensational sherry. Uh, in and the, the value to the Harlem Heat, and of course he just he gushes about what she did for them. And uh, but and then I said, hey, were you trained by Ivan Putsky? Because of course I heard that along the way. And then he's saying, well, yeah, but you know I went to his school, but then it was in GCW that I was really getting learning. Right. So the next day, Manny Fernandez, who'd driven across from Texas or from Oklahoma at the time, I think, uh, to, to our event. So Manny Fernandez. Uh, when he just showed up at our meet and greet and he said, Hey, Booker T's over there. He goes, you know, that's my guy. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I was booking GCW. I, I was the one who kept bringing them in. I said, get out of here. So I, I, you know, I ushered Manny right over and, and I've got photos of he and Booker just Booker again, loved seeing Manny Fernandez and it was exactly as Manny described it was and so again you let them have their moment and I won't you know I'll just leave it alone but it was awesome that was awesome yeah it really was and I I had a I had a a discussion with Booker at the uh, the morning of the 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 meet and greet room there where you know when I worked for WWE we had this great we spent this great day in Philadelphia where there was a wrestler, I'm sorry, a football player. Uh, and I, I think LeVon Kirkland, I think, was the guy. He was on the Philadelphia Eagles. And he used to do, this is like 20 years ago, he used to do the Booker T five-time hand gesture, like with the, with the, this is a visual, but like with his hand open in front of his eyes, like staring at it. He would do that on the sidelines or like if he got a touchdown. And WWE found out about it and they wanted to get Booker and, Lavon Kirkland together and they put me on it to cover it it was it was being covered for tv and in the magazine and I went to Philadelphia we met we got to see the whole Eagles organization we went out for Pat steaks cheese steaks and Philly all of us and I went over and I was just like I wonder if he remembered that I'm gonna just I'm gonna take a chance and like bring it and the minute I started talking about it I didn't even get into the details he immediately remembered the whole thing and he goes oh that was you that's right yes and we went for the cheesesteaks and we saw the eagles like you know locker room and the gym and i'm like yeah yeah and it all just came flooding back you know because people talk about with wrestlers how and and this goes for all celebrities how they have so many experiences on a daily basis that 
they don't remember stuff, right? You'll bring up stuff and they can't remember specifics because this is that the, so many things happen, but it's really not true. I mean, when it's something that's special like that, they, they absolutely do remember. And Booker, you know, he, he remembered more about it than I did. It was pretty cool. So, so Brian, you know, now I'm going to shoehorn my organization right in. You, you know, go you, for you, it. Okay. So, and, and people can go to www.prowrestlinghall.org um, or find us on Facebook or social media, Instagram, whatever, but the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, because what I wanted to say, as you were having that discussion, when we now have a physical location that's filled with historic artifacts from pro wrestling, I have gotten to, I've, I've been able to observe people walk in, and to a person, they become a little kid on something different that's in the museum. No matter how old they are, something will trigger them and all of a sudden they're having that discussion from when they first saw pro wrestling where they were with their grandmother or I remember hearing about that guy and it's different for different people um so again maybe it's uh, some we have the assassins uh jo- Jody Hamilton's outfit or uh the gorgeous George hair curling machine or um uh, there's the uh, Andre the Giant program from his funeral so imagine you had to have been invited to that. You would have had to have saved that. Um, there's not that many out there. So, uh, but people come in, or or maybe it's one of the bronze plaques on the wall, and they think of uh, you know whichever pro wrestler it is. So it's amazing. Everyone who walks into that museum, it, it, it something something happens to them every, every single time. I'm glad you mentioned that because it does go back to that the 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 things that we experienced getting interested in wrestling as a fan as a, for most of us as a kid it seems like most people get into it as children and just how that stays with you for life because I, I want to mention that because I want to be clear you know now that we've been we've been working together for a couple of years now and I've gotten to know you and you know one of the things that's great about you and the way you run the organization is you know you are a serious person you're a professional person uh, that is not something that could always be assumed by people that run organizations related to pro wrestling you are a legit guy but you are also a major wrestling fan from when you were a kid you loved it you grew up with it you you can talk about it and so and i wanted to talk a little about that before before i run out of time because i know you're super busy but let's talk a little bit about that like how did you get into wrestling what were your earliest memories of it oh great question so my earliest memories were when cable tv were was first brought to upstate new york where i had lived and got plugged into the television and it was the wild Samoans that were on TV with Appa and Sika. And uh, with Captain Lou Albano, who had rubber bands stapled to his face. So when it, at that time, again, in upstate New York, you were very much, much remote from anything that looked anything like that. And then shortly thereafter, the Moondogs were on TV. And then there was Rocky Johnson, and then there was Tony Atlas. And um, it, it, so... Then as cable TV during that early 80s, man, at 6.05 on WTBS, we were going to be watching that. Or when it when, when Mid-South started to show or during that run in which um, uh, UWF was on uh, um, uh, 
TV Monday through Friday from right. 8 o'clock in the afternoon on ESPN. So, so we were getting saturated with pro wrestling for, for quite a while. But um, those are my earliest memories would have been the wild Samoan. Um, uh, but then quickly, my mother turned to me and she said, oh, you don't know about pro wrestling? She, and I would distinctly remember, she said, well, you know, Bobo Brazil and Polish Hour, Polish Power, Ivan Putski. And she was an Ivan Putski fan. So, yeah. Uh, so, um, uh, but let me also speak to something you were bringing up about being professional. And, and I'll, and you know, you don't, I, you don't brag about it, but I'll let you know once in a while that, that okay, yes, I, uh, I've got my bachelor's degree in special education and certified as a teacher of special education. I've got my master's and my advanced graduate certificate from the University of Albany. Uh, uh, in um, education, leadership, and policy studies. And then I've got my certificate of, of advanced education leadership from the Harvard Graduate School for Education. So I have been working in education uh, since 1995, I guess, professionally. And um, I would also say that it's probably the, uh, uh, the gainful employment which has prevented me from becoming a professional wrestler. Uh, I was always, you know, you know, that, that health insurance and, and good compensation and being too busy going to grad school kind of uh, uh, luckily kept me uh, from avoiding, you know, wanting to, to um, pursue anything that, anything otherwise. Um, I was, you know, I was wondering about that because I'll tell you, for people that are listening to this, if you've never met Seth or been around Seth, Seth is a large human being. Seth is tall and big and Seth does not need a microphone when he is talking. He is a human microphone. I don't know how you do it. But yeah, I mean, like, I I, I kind of was half wondering if he had ever been in a ring. Well, I'm 6'5", I'm and I go between 270 and 280, you know, and I, uh, whenever, whenever I start moving up, I, I, I drop weight again. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I've been lifting weights since I was 16 years old, and I, I played uh, football, flag football for many, many years. Um, but there, you know, there was you couldn't in that era. You you didn't even know where to go to train to be in pro wrestling. You didn't know how to break into it. And and then I was also smart enough to know that I wasn't going to go on steroids. And if and and in the early to mid 90s, when when that's when I would have been in my you know 20s. I wasn't going to go on the juice and I never needed to go on the juice because I could bench press 400 pounds without going on the juice. Why, why would I? Right. So uh, I always felt like those guys had to do it to keep up with what I could naturally do. And so again, I was, you know, there, there was no, never really opportunity. And, and that wasn't my thing. And, and even now, um, I'm, uh, the other day, uh, 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 I ended up doing some stuff uh, with, uh, Anthony DePippo and Booker T and Bushwhacker Luke and we, we worked a little stuff in the ring um, and then I get uh, some criticisms from people who uh, think that we should be more professional and not do those types of things but guess what it's pro wrestling and we're going to have fun and if we can put somebody over we're going to put them over whatever it takes and it's again it's pro wrestling and we're going to have fun <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, that's part of it. You know, this isn't the amateur wrestling museum, right? I mean, professional wrestling, part of it, aspects of it are supposed to be fun. And and yeah, I mean, look, anybody that is look uh, saying that that this organization is not 
professional. I mean, I don't know if, if they've ever been around wrestling and seen a lot of the organizations that come and go in pro wrestling. This is about as legit as you can ever possibly hope for in the business. But the most most important part is that that is how it's being run. That is the behind the scenes that it's being run legitimately. Then you can have all the fun you want publicly facing and, and make it a fun organization. You know, a serious organization, like you said, as an educational institution and a museum, but also never forgetting that this is professional wrestling, right? This isn't, uh, this isn't, um, you know, by the way, I intentionally let that stuff bother me and I shouldn't have shared it with you because, you know, we get because you care, but it's because you care, which is yeah, good. But you also, you learn to take that energy and drive it and propel you toward your mission. What you don't do is take any time responding to that email or responding to that negative message or even engaging in that conversation right. from the criticism, you instead realize that as soon as you're thinking about doing that, that's energy that should be spent on your mission. And so you then you go right back to maintaining that museum, which for us, making sure the insurance is paid for and that the electric bills are paid for and that the, uh, the, the you know, the, Hopefully we'll make some money with this at some point, you know. Uh, um, it is a non-for-profit. It is all volunteer run. Let's be clear on that. And so uh, uh, no one has made any money on this. Um, in fact, it's been a lot of out-of-pocket expenses, but it's been done because we, we do uh, recognize this is, we, we've got a great opportunity. Thank you to the Albany County Legislature who, who gave us this opportunity because by being in the arena that's air conditioned, it, 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 we don't have to worry about snow removal. People can stop by on their way to the, um, the concerts, to uh, basketball games, hockey games, whatever. By the way, for the rest of 2022, the International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame will do only scheduled tours or very limited events. Um, and uh, uh, with the concept that in 2023, we can have a regular uh, schedule. Uh, we just need to get better displays and uh, coordinate volunteers and, and things like that. So. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that anybody go, you know, once once there is that availability, like you said, anybody that's going into that building, no matter what you're going in there for, if you're going in there to see a basketball game or whatever, you're going to be interested to check that out and go and see, especially if you're somebody who has a passing interest in wrestling, like it's going to it's going to get a lot of traffic. And I even imagine and I think we mentioned this that before that when when wwe or AEW runs that building or any but any major wrestling organization you're going to have guys from there that are definitely going to want to walk in there i mean the wwe wrestlers when they run that building and i know they regularly do i mean you of course they're going to be like hey hey hey, let's go check out that hall of fame up there i heard about that thing it's right over there you know what i mean that's that's great you know one thing that sets us apart from everyone is that and we did this when times were very tough and we weren't sure what our future was going to be. And we didn't have any, you know, uh, uh, significant materials uh, to speak of. But we resolved what that if we focused on being a Hall of Fame first and for that, it meant get the bronze plaques that represent those inductees and do those right. And so we went to U.S. bronze which uh, th does the work for the New York Yankees. And that's where we, you know, again, not to make any enemies out there, but being from the Northeast and <laughs> we are Yankees fans and Yankees fans know that Yankees do it right. 
We went to Yankee Stadium and said, who, do, who does those bronze plaques? Tracked it down. And uh, Brian, a good friend that we have in common, Greg Wachtel, uh, I got to put him over like a million dollars, but Greg coordinated the bronze plaques through U.S. Bronze. So let's go run through that, by the way, because I brought up Greg's name. And you, you, again, we are a professional organization, and I'm just the guy who happens to represent it. But uh, Greg, who I mentioned, is on our board of trustees. He had been the head of retail sales for Time Warner, uh, which included Sports Illustrated, People Magazine, uh, Playboy. I mean, his list of accolades, you know, uh, in the print industry go back, you know, uh, to, to the 1990s. Um, Mike Lanudo, who is the vice president and co-founder, who uh, you know first had the meeting that got this idea started. I kind of curse him for that, but he's also um, a, 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 a retired police officer and he's a financial advisor. And so um, he's hoping that in time that he can help to help these you know independent wrestlers and up and coming wrestlers understand the value of planning for retirement. Um, so I, I won't run through everyone else, but we've got a you know. We do have a great group, um, uh, and we just brought on. You'll, you're going to see our website start to grow over the next six months because we did bring on a um, good friend of ours, Eric Schneider, who's a senior vice president with the NHL. Um, so he's going to be taking over our website. And, and what we want to do is have everything that's in the physical Hall of Fame be uh, built out on the virtual uh, aspects. So that whether you're in the Hall of Fame or you're anywhere else in the world, maybe let's say you're in the Hall of Fame, you go up to that bronze plaque of um, uh, whichever wrestler it is, and there's a QR code. Well, that'll lead to, um, first of all, the articles from our magazine, then it'll lead to YouTube matches or whatever else. So we'll build out, we're going to build ourselves out virtually. So these are the concepts of where we're going to be going forward and um Fully intend that in a few years we're going to grow the size of our, our museum as well. That's great uh, news to hear, and it's a great bunch of people, like you said. I'm glad you I'm glad you did that because they're probably all gonna otherwise hound you and say, How come you took all the credit for yourself on that show? No, but but it's a great group, a great organization. And and I know we mentioned this before, but before we kind of wrap it up, I wanted to give you another chance to just let people know the best ways that they could find the Hall of Fame online and really connect and if they want to learn more about it. Yeah, and by the way, I got to, again, we talked about it earlier, and one of my favorite interviews you had with Bradley Craig. Uh, I loved listening to that. Bradley, yes. uh, along with uh, Brian Solomon, helped put together our Class of 2022 program. Please get those at very limited copies left. I think um, less than 100 left, um, definitely. But um, uh, yeah, find us... Uh, uh, on all social medias, uh, look up International Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. But our website is www.prowrestlinghall.org. Um, again, we're not hard to find. Uh, uh, you know, we've been out there for a couple of years at this point. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, um, but, but uh, Brian, I, I can't thank you enough for being part of of this uh, for a couple of years at this point, as you, you said. Um, you, um, I've really enjoyed as our paths would cross in, in really different places and, and at different times. And, um, and, and I'll put, I'm going to put your book over again. Oh but no. People are going to kill me. They're like, I love this show, but the guy talks about the chic too much. You know, we don't want to add fuel to that fire, but yes, please, by all means, go ahead. 
<laughs> no, no. Hey, at some point, Brian, I could talk to you about the Rocky Johnson book and the saga that has gone on with that and from my perspective, but that's a different oh, wow. time. And, and, yeah, and that's no. the Greg Oliver, Greg Oliver to Scott Teal. And where did, how was I part of any of that? And what, what do I know? And how does that play out to this day? That is an interesting topic, and I know actually some of those guys have been on Brian Last's show talking a little bit about that. I would love to, you know, like I always tell people, we're definitely going to do a part two at some point. I haven't been repeating people yet, but I'm going to, and and I'd love to have you back. I know you're, I know you're insanely busy, so I don't want to keep you. I know you got a lot going on, but yeah, I'm I'm so grateful that you took the time to to come on here and talk about all the stuff with the Hall of Fame and, and beyond. Well, Brian, again, you know, I thank you for being part of it, but please, people, come to the MVP Arena in Albany, New York. We've got 1,500 square feet of space that's been designated to the history of pro wrestling. This is volunteer-run. It is a non-for-profit. Um, uh, it, it's re- and, Brian, you can attest that there are really cool historic artifacts when you walk in there. It's a, yes. it's a bona fide museum, and um, and, and the opportunity for growth is significant. Um, but but I really want to encourage people come and, and check that out. And you want to know what? get our T-shirts? They are pretty cool, by the way. And I'd love to continue to see them uh, popping up in in arenas all across the uh, all across the world. Yes, I even have the trucker hat from last year. I don't know if that's still available, but I... I oh, the truck? Yes, I you're favorite. wearing it right now. Yes, I, I am. now. Oh, they can't see this at all. No. I don't know if there's any out there. I, I know that I saved one of everything for the museum, but otherwise, Brian, I think you know there's not many of them. Well, I'm going to have to be one of those people putting stuff on eBay then. We'll see how much I could get for a Hall of Fame trucker hat. I'm kidding. I'm this going to keep that with pride. Coffee as well. How about that? What do you have? What do you have? Our own, uh, our own brand of coffee. Oh, that's, that's right. Coffee. Yes. That people yes. can go and get that from uh, Motor Oil Coffee in, in Albany, New York. And how about this, Brian? I ended up on cards this year. Uh, there were trading cards that were put together. And I'm very embarrassed because i had nothing to do with it but i ended up on the um on the packaging of that i card. saw those i saw those floating around i didn't get my hands on any of them i wasn't <laughs> totally sure what it was i kind of you know because i was running around so much this year unlike last year i actually had a table i was selling and signing copies of my book so i, I didn't have as much downtime as i did last year but i saw those floating around I'll I'll say I'll save you a pack because I know there'll be collectors. I but but again maybe that's what fueled all of the uh, the, the haters you know who, who don't like because I got in the ring or that my picture's on some card or whatever. But hey, right, God the, bless them. that's the cardinal sin in wrestling that I quickly learned is if you're perceived putting yourself over in any way. <laughs> they will just be all over you, and I just I I mean I I get it, but I I I just think. That's also Let's set the record straight. I didn't print the cards and I didn't. <laughs> well, I said, I said perceived as putting yourself over, even if you didn't really do it. Oh, but right. I happen to think that that whole old fashioned attitude, it's kind of like, I, I think it was the way that the promoters kind of brainwashed a lot of the talent to make sure that they didn't get 
too big for their own britches or that they kind of stayed in their place. I think it was an old tool to kind of keep people in their place. Uh, but thankfully it's one that people in wrestling today have definitely gotten over because <laughs> they uh, have no you problem. You and I haven't even it. got to talk about <laughs> Judo Jean LaBelle and I know. and Aileen Eaton. And, I, and, I, and I'm just starting to scratch the surface of, of what was happening down in the Memphis territory. Uh, uh, read a, that great book on, on Teeny um, yes. uh, that was written by, by Brennan Martin. Uh, that was, you were there when um, it was Jack Jarrett had referred, uh, he walked by and referred me to that book and I, and I followed up on that. And that was awesome, Brian. You and I were there and then three days later, Jack Jarrett was signed to WWE. Right? I know that was wild. That that was I forget the name of it, but it was an it was an autograph show in Hartford in May. And you're right. You were there representing Hall of Fame with with Rita Chatterton. I was there with the book. And yeah, Jeff Jarrett suddenly appears and he's doing a signing. And then you're right. Then immediately he signed to WWE and now he's gone from WWE. Right. You just can't keep track of these things. And you were you were, I think, sitting next to Jay Lethal, who ended up in the last match as well. I mean, did, right. did, that, all, did that all get negotiated with us right there and we didn't know? Who knows? You know, it's it's the Jeff Jarrett's involvement side of it is very possible because I know that lethal was involved because he had been training flair. So he was like plugged in, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Jarrett, because the way that Jeff was carrying himself and interacting with people at that signing, you could tell he hadn't been around a lot of those people in a long time. Like, I don't think he'd been, especially with COVID and things. I, I don't think he'd been around a lot of wrestling people. It's very possible that there was an introduction made with Jay lethal or somebody else at that signing that got Jarrett plugged into that match and by the way he he wound up being the best thing about it by the way you can say what you want about the rick flair's last match and people fall on either side of it but jeff jarrett was that was like the performance of a lifetime what he put in in that match but brian people say to me often how do you meet these people how does all this happen you know how do you and the the reality is get off the couch go do things right there you and i had driven up to northern Connecticut early in the morning, right, to go, you got to go hustle. You got to be out there. And when you yep. get an opportunity, take it. So how did I get involved? I don't know. Uh, Mick Foley, here, you know, let's, let's, I'll, tell, I'll tell you this and then we'll go. I got involved in this type of initiative because I was an elementary school principal. Mick Foley came to help with a fundraiser for while we were building a playground. Mick volunteered to do a signing at a dodgeball tournament, but he instead stayed for four hours for the entire dodgeball tournament. We then wanted to pay Mick back uh, for helping us raise money as a school. When Dominic DiNucci was going to be in Amsterdam, I went to Amsterdam to find Dominic DiNucci to do an interview for Mick Foley. That's how I first got involved in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame was because Mick Foley had volunteered to help us build a playground. From there, it's led to this very serpentine, you know, 10-year odyssey that's led to us being in the arena. And who was the first pro wrestler to show up and actually hang a bronze plaque? None other than Cactus Jack, Mankind, Dude Love, Mick Foley, who showed up, uh, uh, came to the arena, autographed and signed a private note to Terry Funk and put the Terry Funk bronze plaque on the Hall of Fame wall. So it's weird how life takes you on these journeys, but you got to get off the couch and you got to go do stuff, okay? And so I thought that'd be kind of a cool way to, you know, give you a little bit of info and 
That's perfect. Yeah, because look, Shut Up and Wrestle, not just informative, also inspirational. Life lessons being shared on the show. I agree with you because I've been hustling my ass off lately with the book and being more visible than I've been in a long time. And now we've got the wrestling news starting up with Arcadian Vanguard and everything. I've been more visible and busy than I have been in the longest time involved in pro wrestling. So, so yeah, this has been a great conversation, Seth. Thank you so much. We will absolutely be doing it again. All right. Thanks brother. Bang, bang. www.prowrestlinghall.org. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Seth Turner, the president of the International Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. I hope that that conversation shed some light and really helped those listening to understand what the IPWHF is all about, what they stand for, and uh, that it's really in good hands right now. And I'm glad to be a part of it myself. So I hope you got a lot out of that. I hope you continue to get a lot out of what is to come on Shut Up and Wrestle because I am thrilled to say that next week's episode, number 35, I'm going to have a unique kind of conversation with somebody who is uh, maybe known to a lot of you, especially if you're active on Twitter. Uh, He is RJ City a delightful human being, uh, a professional wrestler, uh, comedian, actor, who currently works for AEW in a behind-the-scenes capacity, doing, uh, not really behind-the-scenes, but doing backstage interviews and kind of YouTube shows and things like that. A funny, funny man who has a great interest in not only old-school wrestling, but old-school entertainment in general. So, for example, if you enjoyed the conversation I had a while back with David Marquez, where we really ventured into all kinds of uh, entertainment genres and comedy and things like that, you will love this RJ City interview. He is a delight. I was glad to have him on. If you follow him on Twitter or you are on wrestling Twitter at all, then you definitely know RJ City. He's a lot of fun, and this conversation was a lot of fun. So I'm psyched to be able to bring it out next week for the next episode. Uh, We've also got a few more exciting guests in the weeks to come. Besides RJ on Shut Up and Wrestle, we will be having uh, the longtime promoter Sheldon Goldberg, who I'm also excited to be seeing at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, in just a few days. He's coming up as a guest. Also, Keith Caramello, the belt designer and graphic designer for WWE, the latest in a long line of conversations I've been having with former colleagues of mine at WWE Corporate. So that should be a lot of fun. So keep looking for and listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. You can find it at our website, suawpod.com. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Podcast. Look for it. Subscribe. Join the Facebook group that we've got going, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Become a member and join the conversation. It's a great place to be. 
Uh, you can also, of course, follow a lot of the other projects I've got going on. There is uh, top of mind at the moment, of course, the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. I have been blessed to be a part of this team. I help put the script together on a daily basis. So please enjoy the fruits of our labor. It is posted every morning. It's a no-nonsense way to get your daily fix of wrestling news. Find it at the wrestlingnews.com. Uh, also, as I mentioned at the top, the PWI 500. You can get all issues of Pro Wrestling Illustrated at pwi-online.com. There's also Inside the Ropes magazine, which you can get at insidetheropesmagazine.com. And my book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, which you will find on Amazon in digital, print, and audio form. How's that for keeping busy right you can find all that stuff shut up and wrestle is a production of the arcadian vanguard podcast network so as always this has been brian r solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that in the end the love you take is equal to the love you make so long wrestling fans 